1: Alright, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where it's nearly August, training camp is just about two months away, and we're all still waiting with butt cheeks a-clenched for some big KD and Donovan Mitchell dominoes to fall before we can all move on with our lives. But hey, while you continue to F5 refresh your life into oblivion, the Lakers did get one big domino to fall this past week, at least. Do you know what that one big domino was? Um, what was it? The Shabazz Muhammad domino. Oh. That's right. The Lakers have worked out or will work out. UCLA legend Shabazz Muhammad. So... Hide your wife, hide your kids, I guess. Um, I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. And today we'll be talking about where things stand on the Kyrie Irving trade front. Surprise, surprise. And we'll also be talking about where things stand on the Indiana Pacers front, because we did get actual news of the Lakers having definitive talks and maybe even proposals with the Indiana Pacers surrounding Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. Oh, how the Turner tables. But first, Tommy, speaking of Domino's, let's talk about the pizza kind. What is your favorite fast food pizza takeout place? Is it Domino's or is it somewhere else?
0: Fast food... Uh, probably Domino's. I mean, would you consider Mm. Fresh Brothers to be fast food? They're they're like a chain, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. I don't think they're as franchised and massive as the other ones, but yeah.
0: If if we're talking like Domino's, Pizza Hut, and Papa John's, then probably Domino's. Although I don't eat any of those anymore, to be clear. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much better pizza out there. But between those three, Domino's, yeah.
1: Why do you like Domino's?
0: I just like that, you know, their special seasoning or whatever they Uh, put on like the crust. Yeah, I'm a fan of that.
1: That makes sense. Uh, I think for me, if I had to choose between those three, I think I'd go with Pizza Hut just because when done right, it it has that perfect, super oily, evenly balanced cheese to tomato sauce ratio. Oh, interesting. The meats are typically pretty juicy and tender for me. But I think the biggest thing is texture wise, Pizza Hut is usually the more crispier and crunchier to me. And I kind of like that in my pizza. So I would go with Pizza Hut.
0: Best pizza in L.A.? Yeah, by the way, Prime Pizza. I don't know if you've had it. They've got one not. location in West L.A. And then they've got one location. I can't remember where I exactly, want. Maybe Hollywood area or Mid-City, maybe. Okay. But it's called Prime Prime Pizza. And in my opinion, it's like the closest thing you can get to like real New York pizza.
1: Ooh, All right. I will have to check out Prime Pizza because you know what they say. Crust the process. All right. Well, speaking of pizza, we'd like to ask for a pizza of your time and request that you guys head on over to your Apple podcast app or your Spotify app and give us a five star rating and review. While I know most of you have already done so on Apple and we thank you for your support. We'd love it if you could also do the same on the Spotify app to make sure we're Lakers legacy ratings lit on all platforms. Uh, So with all that said, (laughs) let's get into things, Tommy. Let me lay out where we currently stand which isn't too different from where we stood during the start of free agency. It's just been worded differently and narratively spun differently. But as it pertains to Kevin Durant and Kyrie rumors, um, we've learned that Brooklyn has leaked, that the Celtics have offered up Jalen Brown and some picks in a deal, but the Nets want Marcus Smart and more picks. Although according to Brian Windhorst, this offer was made in mid July. It's just the Nets are now leaking it so that maybe they get better competitive offers from other teams. It's also been confirmed that KD currently is not laying off of his trade request, which is good news for the Lakers. And it also seems like the Nets are still motivated in finding a deal for him before training camp starts because they don't want that looming over their heads and the potential for KD to not even report to training camp. But the Nets want to do things on their terms. Now, with regards to Kyrie, regardless of what Shams has said about Kyrie being prepared to play out the next year in Brooklyn with or without KD, it doesn't seem like the Brooklyn Nets want Kyrie in any scenario. Now, if they trade for Jalen Brown, that may get interesting because I know him and Kyrie are pretty buddy-buddy. But regardless, it seems like the Nets are... Motivated to also move on from Kyrie, provided they're able to execute a KD trade first, which is essentially what we've been saying this entire time since the beginning of July. Did I miss anything on that front? No. Okay, moving on to the kind of more newer news when it comes to Indiana Pacers and Lakers discussions. Now, we've known the Lakers have always had an interest in Buddy Heald, dating back all the way to last summer when Kyle Kuzma was almost going to be a Sacramento King, but... For me, the more fresher news is the fact that Miles Turner is actually being concretely discussed in these deals and the Indiana Pacers are actually willing to trade him to the Lakers for draft compensation. Where once I thought the Pacers wouldn't even consider a Lakers package centered around Russ the 2027 first and the 2029 first, it now sounds like the deal would already have been done yesterday if the Lakers had just included that second first rounder. But as it stands, the Lakers have reportedly only offered Russ, the 2027 first and two seconds for Heald and Miles Turner, and the Pacers have rejected that deal, and things are currently at a standstill. So from my standpoint, this sort of reads to me like, one, Kyrie Irving is still the Lakers' number one target. Number two, having said that, it seems like the Lakers are willing to pivot off of Kyrie if it means that they can lowball another team like the Pacers and swing a deal for Heald and Turner by only giving up one first. I do think the Lakers knew the Pacers would reject this offer, but that's fine by the Lakers since they're still waiting on the KD-Kyrie issue to resolve itself in Brooklyn anyway. And if they need to down the line and the Kyrie Irving deal falls apart, they could come back to the Pacers and offer up that second first round pick. So yeah, that's sort of how I see things. That's sort of where I see things at right now. Um, If the Lakers go back to the Pacers and don't want to give up that second first round pick, then maybe they can negotiate... Taking on T.J. McConnell's remaining 17 million guaranteed over the next two years, with a partial guarantee of five million dollars in his third year. So if they take that contract off the Pacers' hands, maybe the Pacers will be more amenable to to the Lakers only giving up the 2027 first and the two seconds. Or the the most practical compromise in, in my eyes is the Lakers just more heavily protecting that second first to like top 15 uh, protected in 2029. But yeah, from from your end, Tommy, is there anything else you wanted to add about the situation right now?
0: I will I think the Lakers will get a trade done eventually, whether it's the some form of the Indiana trade some form of a Kyrie trade. I think all this haggling about picks is like sort of what you said, right? It's like nobody's moving right now and everybody's just waiting for the next, like somebody to blink first on one of these trades. And then once one of these big trades happens, you're sort of going to see like an avalanche because eventually, and this is why like the trade deadline becomes such a big time, right? It's like sort of artificial, but it puts like a time where like people know that they've seen the full scope of everything. And of course there's no trade deadline in the off season, but sort of, Training camp is almost, and especially the couple of weeks leading into training camp, because teams nowadays like get together earlier, et cetera, that's sort of like the unofficial trade deadline um, for a lot of these teams in the off season. And so once, you know, we get into later into August, I think things are going to pick up and, and things will start moving. But yeah. other than that, I you know, nothing really to glean from these rumors right now, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree. So before we get into assessing the pros and cons of a Miles Turner and Buddy Heal trade package, and whether we prefer a Kyrie package to them or not, I wanted to touch upon one general topic regarding the Lakers' handling of these two first-round picks of theirs. And I guess, I don't know if it's a movement, but this movement by fans to really covet holding on to that second first round pick in case we need to make a second trade down the line. (laughs) We've
0: been throwing these picks away like they're candy. and Now all of a sudden everyone's (laughs) getting all sensitive about it. I
1: know. So I wanted to get your thoughts on this. I call this the keep one first to use the other first in another trade fallacy. Obviously, in the most idyllic circumstances, if you can manage to only trade one pick and get off Russ while also getting back starter level players, then yeah, do it. It's a great idea. It's a nice thought. But realistically, the Lakers are, in my opinion, in in no position to be getting cute with things. And the market has already shown the Lakers it's likely going to take two first-round picks. Uh, The Lakers' objective of, one, getting off of Westbrook, and then, two, getting productive starter-level players back will likely require two firsts in most circumstances. And for me, if you can get Kyrie for two firsts, then you give up two firsts for Kyrie because, again, this situation wouldn't even be possible if Kyrie wasn't a weirdo. We wouldn't even have this opportunity to be dangling our two firsts for him if it wasn't for Kyrie just being weird about vaccinations or not being weird about vaccinations, but having that stance on vaccinations and all of a sudden uh, derailing his time with the Brooklyn Nets. And then, you know, if you can get Miles and Heal for two firsts to a lesser extent, maybe you still give up those two firsts and just protect those picks to compromise. But for me, I just feel like (laughs) what fans need to stop doing is being so hyper focused on the second move that the Lakers need to make with the 2029 20, first, THT and Kendrick Nunn. So, Lakers fans need to stop being so hyper focused on that second move the Lakers need to make before the Lakers have even pulled off the first move in the first place. Because to me, that's just like half assing two things before one of those things has even materialized, before the Lakers have whole assed the first big trade that they need to pull off. Whole asset, please. Because the alternative to not surrendering to first in, let's say, a Kyrie Irving deal or even a Miles Turner and Buddy Heel deal is, if you wait and drag this out, Tommy, you may end up finding later on down the road that no comparable deals materialized that even come close yeah. to matching the, the deals that you have available right now. And you may end up trading those two firsts anyway for a worse aggregate package down the line while also screwing up your team chemistry because Westbrook is still technically on your roster, whether he's sitting at home or actually in training camp with you. And you've just derailed this next year and made LeBron James and Anthony Davis mad. So where do you stand on... I mean, how how tightly do you hold on to this notion that we need to keep that second first to make the other deal? Because the other thing people need to realize is we can make other deals without a first round pick. It's possible, guys, and in fact we have we would now have multiple salary ballasts that we can use in trades, and we maybe we add a second round pick or something to sweeten the pot for another deal down the line. But we are not locked into this roster if we trade both of our firsts in this one deal that happens. So what are your thoughts on that
0: yeah i mean you I think you really hit the major issues and it's just like a you know always thinking that you're gonna get something better. This is like fans when they're like analyzing trades and like looking at trades like how does everyone reacting the moment of like actually you know it's funny we were this sort of came up in the context when we were like talking you and I were offline we' talking briefly about like what it's cost to like unload some bad contracts in the past and the Lakers the same exact front office and group of advisors. You know, obviously Magic was involved back then, but he's still part of the advisor group. Like, traded a very recent number two overall pick in the draft to dump Timothy Mozgov, like, five years ago, right? And in hindsight, like, obviously that was for other reasons, and they needed to clear space for LeBron, and they were getting off long-term cap, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But... On the day of the trade, that I mean, like, a lot of Laker fans were gutted and, you know, maybe it looks – it's super unfair or whatever. When you look at back of that trade, it's like we actually, you know, got Brooke Lopez, who had a great year for us and we probably should have kept, frankly. Mm -hmm. We got the pick that ended up becoming Kyle Kuzma and we got a ton of cap relief. So I guess my point of all this is to say, like, you take the best deal that's in front of you – This idea of waiting for what could come up, you know, in December or January, who knows, right? But we've been operating with no picks for years. The fact that we somehow like have two picks, like there's no trade that I can really envision where having like one pick versus having no picks is really going to like move the needle for you, you know, especially when it comes to these midseason trades. And by the way, you're... Using multiple picks to get off an albatross contract that is like otherwise going to be immovable during the season anyway. So, if you can get back like multiple guys who are splitting between that, like Miles Turner, for just to use that as an example, has value himself as an asset. He's young, he's a center, he could space the floor, and whoever gets him gets his bird rights and probably will be able to actually keep him for cheaper than what his current contract is. You know, like Buddy Heald, okay, maybe you make an argument that that's a little bit harder to move off of. But he's still a shooter who, by the way, would thrive in the system playing with LeBron and AD. So I, I just like this idea, like to your point, that we, I like it, it's, it just feels like a pointless argument to me because, like, yes, if you can make either of these trades and only use one first round pick, do it. You should not come Fantastic. out. Yeah, do it. Absolutely. <laughs> I agree with you. Thank you. No argument for me. But like, that's not the question, right? The question is: gun to your head. The trade deadlines tomorrow. Do you keep Russ or do you use two first round picks to move him and get players back? You have to be crazy in a LeBron, I, I, and I maybe that's a little harsh because a lot of people seem to have this view. But like in a in a LeBron team where you have LeBron, you have AD, you have really a two year window that you're sort of working with with like Brawny on the way to the NBA, like you have to figure this out now. And I love the fact that everybody just likes to fall back on, well, getting buddy and getting miles Turner doesn't vault us into championship contender status. Like according to who we have a great coach that we're all excited about. We got a lot of depth, defensive minded signings, buddy healed would easily be our third best player on the team that won the championship two years ago or three years ago. Right? Like, Actually, two years ago, Miles Turner like would be one of the best players on that team, and like you're adding a, you're trading two for one, and keeping a substantial amount of, you know, creating a substantial amount of depth on your roster, and still giving yourself like long-term flexibility to like make moves down the line. I just feel like these are no-brainer types of things, and yeah. you, you know, I, I don't, I just push back on this notion of like fans like. It's like I I think the people who are pushing back on this the most, uh, you know, the idea of trading two first round picks are just fans who like for whatever reason feel like some personal offense that the superstars are quote unquote dictating how we're approaching the, you know, roster building. But that is the nature of having superstars, you know what I mean? Like any superstars on any team, whether they're directly telling you to do it or not are inevitably going to create a situation where you are going to be thinking more short-term than you are long-term. And if we're going to, like, there will be life in L.A. post-LeBron, just like there was post-Kobe, post-Shaq, etc. go down the list, right? And we still have a guy, by the way, who, you know, in Anthony Davis, who's, like, not even 30 years old yet. So we need to think about what he thinks about the moves we pull off or don't pull off yeah and and if like there's no reason to not keep him long term by the way like when he's healthy and we're you know his head is right and you know his body's right like he's a top easily top 10 i mean in the bubble he was like he looked like a top three top five player in the league right so you want to keep him long term and you know hopefully by by that metric you're not going to be like a tanking team in 2017 or 20 excuse me 2027 and Beyond that, it's, like, I don't want to be, like, who cares? Like, none of us are going to be alive in 2029. Obviously, it's, like, important to manage your long-term assets. But, like, we are still going to have half of our picks between now and, you know, 2028. So, like, literally half of the six picks that we should have had in that time frame or whatever. So, like, it it's going to be fine. And, like, if you want to criticize that, like, where were these people when this the first round pick was thrown in with KCP, Kuzma, in Montrez to get Russell Westbrook and take on that albatross contract, I mean, right?
1: I mean, I guess I'll caveat that with, you know, that late first-round pick is different than a fully unprotected first-round pick five years down the line, which, you know, makes sense. But I think the one thing I'd like to add is Tommy, wasn't this the whole point that we held off on making a mid-season trade deadline trade last season so that we could then use the 2029 first in another package and hopefully do the... (laughs) Yes, that was the exact rationale. So why then are we not doing it when not only are we getting off Russell Westbrook, but we're getting starter level players and we're killing two birds with one stone. I don't know where we came from such an entitled perspective where we're like, hold on. No, we're keeping that one first pick so then we can make another superstar trade after this. It's like, no, we just need to build our foundation now. And the fact that you can eat the fact that we even have the opportunity to kill two birds with one stone is crazy. And I'm not I'm not trivializing the fact that the 2027 first and the 2029 first could end up being, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen level, Jalen Brown level sort of draft picks down the line that could hurt us the same way that it hurt the Brooklyn Nets but just like the Brooklyn Nets we're the Los Angeles Lakers we're not some small market ass team who won't try and find a way to survive through those times we just have to survive through now so that we could have you know a better chance when those years come up that we're still sort of competitive to the point where it won't hurt us as much as people think so
0: yeah totally agree on all fronts
1: all right, with that said, let's take it to break. When we return, we'll break down what we think of Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, whether they're actually worth these two first, although I think we've already spoiled what our thoughts are on that. But we'll kind of dig in a little bit deeper and whether or not we prefer them to a Kyrie Irving trade. So we will catch you guys after the turn. All right, so we're back. Uh, Tommy, let's just quickly do like a bullet point sort of back and forth on the pros and cons of Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, and we can expand on some of these points uh, afterwards. But let's start with the cons first. I think for both of them, one of the the cons that stand out to me are they're unproven, inexperienced players when it comes to the playoffs. And Miles Turner has actually been to the playoffs five times, so he's not that inexperienced, but he's never gotten out of the first round. Although, in 2018, his Pacers actually took LeBron James' Cavs to seven games. But I guess this applies more to Buddy Heald, who has never been to the playoffs, period. So we don't necessarily know how he'll fare in a playoff-type situation, where you know he'll be hunted on the defensive end and outside of the defensive end of things. Like, will his shot work? You know, we've seen shooters totally malfunction in the playoffs, like Joe Harris. So yeah, that's a concern. Another big con is the long term money. Heald's contract extends to 2023 for $18 million. Uh, and then Miles Turner, if you're taking him on, you'll likely have to sign him to a big extension over his current $17.5 million deal. So if you're not willing to make that commitment, it could get dicey for you. With regards to Miles Turner, uh, as it pertains to cons, he is a brittle center who had a stress reaction in his foot last season and only played 42 games. Uh, He played 47 games out of the 72 games that were available the season before that. So the last two years have been sort of iffy for him. Um, Another con with regards to Miles Turner is the fact that he shifts AD to the four, and you you wonder whether or not Miles Turner gets Rudy Gobert in the playoffs. So is it worth giving up a first-round pick for a player who can't close all your games for you? And then lastly... Miles Turner's shot selection is pretty bad for a big man. I think he's typically um, like 48, 49%, and that's not too great if you're a center. Um, With regards to some cons for Heald specifically, obviously he doesn't play defense, and this will only become more glaringly apparent in the playoffs. And then as it pertains to an 82-game regular season, I'm not sure he can also carry your team if LeBron James goes down because he's not really a primary initiating sort of uh, guard he 's more of a shooting guard who can do a little bit of nifty things in the mid range and whatnot, but do you have any other cons to add whether for both of them or for or or individually cons to add in in what sense like to just their value in terms of iffy like questions and iffy things that you have about the about bringing them on in a trade if you were to say give up two first round picks
0: i mean like you want me to start with like miles turner. Sure. So like on the Miles Turner front, I think the scary thing, right? When you think about the two first round picks, and I assume this is what like a lot of people are worried about, right? It's kind of twofold. Number one is his health has not necessarily been the best. Number two, he is an expiring contract. So on the one hand, it's nice because you get some flexibility. But on the other hand... If he does ball out, which he might in a contract year, you know, playing next to AD, who's like pretty much they are the ideal fits with one another in a front court over an 82-game season, there's a decent chance you're not able to keep him um, long term. And then I think with like Buddy, when you're thinking about like what are potential cons of of bringing somebody like that in, I think it's like the contract length, right? And, and maybe the fact that he doesn't really provide you a lot on the defensive side.
1: Yeah. Um, What do you mean by not being able to
0: retain Turner? Is it you don't think the Lakers would want to pay up
1: in 2023 for him?
0: I think they won't pay up if he is going to bring you know require a con like if he plays so well that he justifies a contract that is the same or more than what he's currently getting annually i don't think that they would keep somebody like that long term at the center position and i think that's purely like a tax-driven thing by the way
1: oh that would that would suck i don't know (laughs) in that case maybe it makes sense that they're so hesitant to give up to first if they know they are not too committed to retaining turner whether or not he balls out, so yeah, that is, that is <laughs> that is quite concerning. I would hope so. If you're giving up two firsts, though, uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, okay, so those are like the main cons that I can think of with regards to Miles Turner and and Buddy Heel. That kind of stems on availability, their brittleness, their inexperience, and obviously their contract situations. And I think you'd agree with me if we if we traded for Miles Turner. There's almost no circumstance where we where we give him an extension before the season has gone underway,
0: right? Right. Yeah,
1: okay. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Um, with regards to the pros, so I'll start with Miles Turner. He's only 26 years old, which is insane. I think Miles Turner next to AD, they have the potential to form like the best front court defensive tandem in the league. And that's very enticing. I, I can't remember the last time you had two teammates on one team who were top five in block shots. I haven't looked at basketball reference for that, but I'd assume it was probably a while ago since we've seen that happen. So to have two elite rim protectors in that vein who are both, when they're right, very athletic, versatile, mobile big men is very, very intriguing to me. Miles Turner to me is like if we consolidated our two free agent big men that we got, Damian Jones and Thomas Bryant, and you fuse them together and there's Miles Turner, you know? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's more like if you fuse JaVale McGee and Thomas Bryant together, you get a Miles Turner, who gives you not only the spacing and offensive versatility that a Thomas Bryant has, but also that elite shot blocking and athleticism that JaVale McGee has as well. Miles Turner led the league in block shots twice in the last five years. Uh, I know people like to complain about his low rebound average, but... Again, that's likely because he's busy protecting the rim and erasing shots. In fact, look at some of the most elite shot blockers in the league. Brooke Lopez, JaVale McGee, Mo Bamba. All these guys have rebound averages of under 7. The low rebounding averages don't concern me because most elite shot blockers are too focused, cleaning up their teammates' mistakes that the rebounding stats typically go to someone else. And especially next to a guy like Anthony Davis, I think the rebounding average of Miles Turner will matter even less and his rebounding rate may actually even rise because Anthony Davis will be helping clean up after him as well. Or Anthony Davis will help block a lot of those shots so that he won't be the sole rim protector and Miles Turner will be the beneficiary of a couple more rebounds. So the, the rebounding thing doesn't really concern me.
0: But yeah, what are, you, what are some pros that you see out of, out of Miles Turner? Just, I mean, like I kind of alluded to, the fit with AD is just so undeniable. They both like the one thing that we saw from the championship year with AD is he is such a good defender, but he's almost like in his ideal role as a sort of free safety where he can monitor everything that's going on. He could be a weak side rebounder and a weak side helper. He doesn't really blow rotations. He can test shots at the rim, but like when he's logged you know, jammed, like sort of trying to just stick with centers, you don't necessarily get the full scope of that. With Miles Turner, you now sort of have like two ADs on the floor. Like obviously AD is sort of in a league of his own when it comes to defense at that size. But you get someone who, frankly, I think like, especially at this age and stage of career, would be more effective switching guard, you know, on guards and slowing guys down on the perimeter than even Dwight Howard and JaVale were during Mm -hmm. our championship run. You get another guy like AD who is, you know, to the extent like things get mixed up as they often do on defense, you know, defense with all the complex sets that like a lot of teams are running nowadays. If AD has to be in a position where he's not the free safety and he's like defending out on the perimeter, you don't lose any rim protection and on offense, you get a shooter that teams have to respect. I'm not saying Miles Turner is going to be hitting three threes a game, but you have to respect him as a perimeter threat. Um, Couple all of that with the fact that he's young and can run and is not going to, you know, be slogging up and down the floor, particularly because he's not going to play, be playing huge minutes with us. I just think there's so much to like about the 80 miles Turner fit that, you know, it, to me, it makes it a no brainer. Um, to at least include the one first round pick in this one, which I think most would agree with. Right. But like, that's why it's like, I'm, if you consider one to be going as like part of the Russell Westbrook dump, like the second one, I just feel like that miles Turner 80 fit is so worth rolling the, rolling the dice.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. He averaged 2.8 blocks last season. And then in 2020 and 21, when he led the league in blocks, he averaged 3.4, which is insane and while the last two years he's only shot 33% from 3 he's also hit 1.5 threes a game which is very impressive and he does have a year where he shot 38% from 3 hitting one a game as well and you know AD and Miles Turner you know they're also sort of insurance policies for one another you know so you'd hope that if and when one of them go down that it's not at the same time and you can sort of stagger their availability so i guess that's like a not not exactly a a pro, but it's a sort of a silver lining where you may necessarily not miss a beat if AD has to, you know, miss 10 games because Miles Turner is there or vice versa. Now, with regard to the fit, I know some people are very concerned about this, and, and this is one of the main reasons why they don't want to trade for Miles Turner. What if Miles Turner can't close games because he's pushing AD to the four? And ideally, you'd want AD at the five, and why are we giving up a first round pick for? a guy who in the playoffs may be phased out in closing minutes. And to me, I don't think it matters because just like AD did with DeMarcus Cousins in new Orleans, in new Orleans, I don't think it mattered for him. Then I don't think it mattered for the Pelicans. Then when both of them were balling out, I guess you could argue that AD was the five in that scenario with DeMarcus Cousins at the four, but at a certain point, they're just interchangeable, just like he'll be with miles Turner. And, I think the trading for a guy who won't close angle is a bit overblown. Just yeah. because we didn't see Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee close games in the playoffs for us doesn't mean that just because Turner is a center like them and we want 80 at the 5, that Turner is going to be on the bench in closing situations more times than not. Because I'd like to remind people, Miles Turner is not JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard. Well, he's he's yeah, much better. Yeah.
0: And, like, you have to win playing to your strengths. And this team won a championship playing big when everybody in the league was playing small. It's not like small ball just came up in the last two years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, given the way that our roster is currently constructed and given how few opportunities we've had and are going to have, filling this, like, six, you know, eight to six ten sort of size range on the roster... Miles Turner gives you the ability to play bigger lineups and not sacrifice any effectiveness on either side. I, I think I I don't understand fully because I've always liked Miles Turner as a prospect since he was drafted, frankly, but I don't really understand why his value seems to be so relatively low. I know injuries are a part of it, but, you know, I'm not saying in, in all situations he's like a, an amazing prospect or player for you right now, but like... On the Lakers team with this roster is currently constructed, I don't think you're going to do a lot better than, than him, honestly.
1: Yeah, and to the point of, you know, starting fives and fours and AD playing at the five or whatever, just look back to the Lakers when we had Andrew Bynum and Powell. To your point, you just make teams adjust to you. And did it matter necessarily that Powell Gasol closed games over Bynum with Lamar Odom some games? did that make Andrew Bynum any less of an all-star or diminish his contributions to a championship team? I don't think right. so. Bynum ended right. up still getting his 28 to 30 minutes a game, and so will Miles Turner. I don't think that just because we gave up a first-round pick to Miles Turner, and because of this one playoff game where there's too many guards on the floor against the Golden State Warriors, he's sitting in the last three minutes, that that means it wasn't worth it to give up a first for Miles Turner. You have to
0: get through an 82-game regular season, There's an first of all. We've seen, like, <laughs> like, the fact that we've been through the last two 82-game seasons that we've been through and people are still so focused on, like, well, what's going to happen in the playoffs? It's like, how about we get there first, put ourselves in, like, the position to have the most success and have home court advantage in the playoffs and then worry about... The rest, the reality is you can make, over the course of an 82-game season, you will also come up with what is your actual closing lineup. And we have guys who will, you know, make that work, right? We have, we know AD will be playing the five. We know LeBron can play some four if he needs to. We have guys like Stanley who can be another big wing for you, and we signed a bunch of guards. So, like we'll figure it out you know with in terms of closing lineups but you need to get through 82 and you need to win a good percentage of those 82 to have a chance of having success in the playoffs
1: yeah and what if anthony davis is in foul trouble well guess what miles turner is going to close because he's your only rim protector and there exactly. is a very real possibility where anthony davis and miles turner become so dominant a front court tandem that we are blowing out enough teams along the way that neither AD or Turner are closing games, anyways. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's right. just you have to keep all these things in mind. But with that said, let's move on to some pros for Buddy Healed. Um, look, I've never been a huge fan of Buddy Healed, and I even when it came to trading THT and None for Healed, I, I, I kind of felt like we were selling low. But given our circumstances and given the fact that In this trade proposal, we're not only getting Buddy Heald, a a player who could fill a very necessary role on this team of spacing, in fact, the only real spacer on this team, but also getting rid of Russell Westbrook. To me, that makes it worth it to have to give up a first as well. Um, But with regards to pros on Heald's end, I mean, outside of him just being a knockdown three-point shooter is the fact that, to me, you can almost play Buddy Heald like a poor man's version of CJ McCollum. He's not just a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, but he's like a, he's pretty crafty and deadly in the mid-range game. You know, he can handle the ball. He's very smooth. He's got a fluid game to him. That jump shot release of his is so light and easy. Um, and while Buddy Heal doesn't necessarily have playoff experience, I mean, let's take it back to his draft class. Do you remember what people were saying about him coming out of college and what his MO was? Like, this dude was highly regarded as a gamer, as a clutch player who had Mamba mentality, this Damian Lillard sort of player who wasn't afraid of the bright lights. So I think I have some sort of reason to believe that he'll rise to the occasion when he gets there, you know? Um, And while I know Heald's three-point percentage has dropped the last few years, it honestly doesn't matter because he shoots at such a high volume, That the gravity he provides you is more than enough to make up for, you know, a three percentage dip from 40% to (laughs) 37%. And
0: and if you've watched him play at all the last few years, he takes, like, the most absurdly difficult three-pointers. I mean, this dude has no conscience when it comes to shooting. And he's still, by the way, like, last year, it is a little confusing, but I will say this. I'm not saying you were looking at basketball reference, uh, but, like... His 36, 37% number was just last year. It's just split up between Sacramento mm-hmm. and Indiana. Over 81 games, he shot 37%. But every other year in his career, except for his second year, he shot 39+. And he's career 40% over mm-hmm. eight, seasons, or, uh, yeah, eight seasons. So, like, that is legit.
1: Well, he's also knocking down, he's also making three threes a game, which is yeah, insane. yeah. And I think last year, like Dick, to your point, he hit four threes a game on 39%. All this without Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And you tack on top of that the fact that, I mean, I don't think this is like a huge factor, but he does have familiarity playing with Anthony Davis during his rookie season with the New Orleans Pelicans. And he he saw firsthand the gravity that a guy like Anthony Davis could provide him. And all he has to do is hit open shots. Sign me up, dude.
0: So, he I also mean, shoots 87% career from the free throw line, which is like we've seen the struggles that we have on that, you know. You can, we can't have LeBron taking our, our uh, technical foul free throws anymore.
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's transition to talking about this notion that Buddy Hield is a negative asset. And this will sort of blend into, you know, the overall question that we've sort of been answering along the way here of are Buddy and Miles Turner worth two first-round picks? I think we've made a position pretty clear on that. But I also just want to touch upon this notion that Buddy Heald is a negative asset. And I understand that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And if you've never been high on Buddy Heald or Miles Turner and you're sticking to that stance and you don't think that they're worth two first round picks, fine, that's fair. But I think there are a lot of other contexts that are in play here, including... The Lakers' desperate situation, their need to offload Russell Westbrook, their need to show LeBron James and Anthony Davis that they're being active and trying to improve this team for this upcoming season. So all that. But in my opinion, and maybe this is just a matter of semantics regarding whether how you define a negative a negative asset versus how I define a negative asset, because I think in a vacuum. Yeah, maybe in a vacuum in general, Buddy Heald is a negative asset because his contract runs $20 million this year and then $18 million next year. And he's strictly a pure shooting three-point shooter who can't play defense. So from that end, if you want to get off of him, you may even have to attach a second-round pick to clear his salary from your books. So from that end, yeah, maybe he's a negative asset. But with regards to the Lakers' context, I don't know how you can be a negative asset when the Lakers actually need your skill set and will yeah. play you. To me, a negative asset is a guy who, like Russell Westbrook. We, we, I was going to say, we have some of those. <laughs> we, we have yeah. some of those guys. But a guy who you not only have to attach an asset to get rid of, but a guy who is not even playable to any other team and who the recipient team will need to buy out. Buddy Heald serves a very glaring apparent purpose for this Lakers team that is so desperate for shooting. So, I don't know how we can label him as a negative asset when we're going to be playing him at least 28 to 30 minutes, you know? And let's say he hurts your chances in 2023 to open up calf space or whatever. Worst-case scenario, you can't offload Buddy Heald or you don't want to add picks to offload his $18 million salary. Worst-case scenario is you're stuck with a role player who can shoot threes and provide you spacing for 2023. So
0: what are your thoughts on this notion that he's a negative asset? Yeah, I mean, look, I get, like, I get where people are sort of coming from. However, I will also say that I feel like the, the Lakers' whole like we're not doing any long-term contracts which is by the way financially motivated for the owners has created this like insane perspective. Now with the fans, it's like trickled down, right? We're like, we can't have any long-term players because unless they're superstars, because then that prevents us from signing more superstars. We have LeBron and we have AD. If we need to clear Buddy Heald next season, We'll figure out a way to do it. It's like you sort of look to like the Alec Burks and Noel thing as like a guide. If you're dumping a 21 or $20 million player who cannot play basketball physically for you, sure, that require the market for that I don't think anyone would argue is a first round pick. And maybe you call him a negative asset in that case. You, we, you can move off Buddy Heald for free, I think, if you get a team that has, like, a trade exception. At worst, a second round or two second round picks if you really need to dump him.
1: Or if you take back a multi-year contract for a player that you can more readily use, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I just feel like the Laker fan base is so, like, brainwashed almost at this point by how we approach this stuff. You know who's not asking, is somebody a negative asset? Is anyone asking if Norman Powell is a negative asset? Like, maybe he gives you, like, a little bit of... Uh, a little bit better defense. That dude is under contract for like six years. (laughs) (laughs) Like maybe that's a slight exaggeration, but he must have like, yeah, four years, like after this season, I mean, he's like on the Clippers roster by far the longest term contract currently. And nobody over there is asking, is he a negative asset? Because he gives them what they need, which is a scoring punch off the bench, some additional toughness and more guard depth. And That's what we... We need scoring. We need more guard depth. I mean, Buddy Heald is a guy who has averaged over 20 points a game in this league. Like, granted, he was playing on some bottom feeder teams... But he can play, you know, for all the criticisms that people had about, like, Kyle Kuzma and this and that. This is the legit dude who could be a legit number three scorer on your team. Like, if you think about the Shaq Kobe days when there was, like, the one-two punch with Glenn Rice, right? And, like, Mm -hmm. Glenn Rice was giving them a solid 15 a game that first championship. You know, it's like... That's all you really need when next to a LeBron and an AD is, of course, if you can get like a legit superstar, sure, you do it. But if you can't, a guy who you can consistently count on to give you 15 a game, you're going to get that in Buddy Heald. And I think because we're going to be in this scenario, we would be playing a a lot more two-center ball some of his defensive deficiencies are going to be masked, and he is going to be able to do what he does best, which is get you high volume scoring and three point making, shot making in a limited amount of minutes. Yeah, I agree, and
1: maybe a better comp because I think Glenn Rice played defense, right? Would be like Sasha Vujicic in his prime or Vladimir Radmanovic. Swagmanovic. Yeah, Swagmanovic, exactly. Even though he didn't win a championship, we did make it to the finals with that guy, and his spacing was very necessary. So yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, One of the last few questions I want to ask you is, now I know there are a lot of people who don't particularly like this package of Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, and again, if you don't like these players and you haven't liked them for a long time and you don't think they're worth it or you think they'll bite us in the butt when they get injured or their contract extensions come up, all that is totally fair. But... I think what I've been painfully reminded of this summer via Twitter and the internet is there's apparently always something to debate about and fight over except for getting Russell Westbrook off the Lakers. That seems to be pretty unanimous. <laughs> amongst Lakers unifying fans, actually. It's unifying among Lakers fans. It's crazy, dude. Um, but anyways, there seems to be this faction, this, this movement of Lakers fans that cares so little about Miles Turner and Buddy Hill that they would rather go into the season with Russell Westbrook and either sit him at home and sign a guy like Dennis Schroeder, or actually go into the season with him on the roster. So I've, I've seen that, but I've also seen a potential Knicks pivot. Like, there's some fans that would rather pivot to the Knicks, not give up any first-round picks, and take on the Julius Randle package. And Julius Randle has four <laughs> years left at $20 million plus per these next oh, four God. years. So essentially, Russell Westbrook at the power forward position and... Next to LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and yeah, next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis, he'll likely be coming off the bench. So, so for me, it's just like I, I don't know where you stand on on those points of view, but and I think you've already answered this question throughout this episode. But you would give up two firsts to get rid of Russell Westbrook and take on Miles and Buddy if it meant not having to go through these other alternative options, right? And and again, I think maybe the compromise is, because I agree with people to the extent that it is a pretty steep price considering the fact that Indiana has been trying to trade these guys and they haven't found any suitors, but they're not as desperate as we are to compete this upcoming season. And if they really wanted to hold out on stuff and see if a suitor emerges near the trade deadline— for a team that's like, oh, you know what? We could use a Miles Turner. We'll give up a first at the trade deadline because he, he'll put us over the hump. I think you have to consider that as well, right? Um, but where was I getting at? Yeah, I guess what are your thoughts on, you know, hating Miles Turner and Buddy Heald so much, hating that package so much that you would withhold first-round picks and just kind of roll with this current team or try and wait for, you know,
0: a better deal to arise later? I don't understand hating this deal that much. I mean, if you told me... This was literally actually... And I, God knows if we recorded this, and I'm certainly not going to listen to figure it out. <laughs> but, like, we've certainly had discussions, at least offline, in the past about, like, hey, you know, it's funny. We were, like, looking at Buddy Healed last year, and isn't it, like, kind of ironic that him plus Miles Turner, like, works out with Russ's contract? And, like, we have... um you know, Indiana's been very openly trying to move off of Miles, and they're now very clearly in rebuild mode, and we have some picks. Like, wouldn't that be – and it was just sort of dismissed as, like, there's not a chance in hell that Indiana would do this because Miles Turner is, like – although he's had his injuries and whatnot, he, he's a legit player that, like, teams have wanted. Mm-hmm. Um and now we 're like actually in a position where it seems like that might be possible, and people I know. are like nah i mean it 's like we need like legitimate like people are forgetting right like we need what this roster needs like we've we 're top heavy and we 're bottom heavy in other words, I think like we have two amazing stars already locked in. Notice I said two. We have um, we have a bunch of guys who I think we did a pretty good job overall at this offseason signing in free agency, who in my opinion are really, really solid, like six to eight, you know, seven to nine type rotation guys on competitive teams. You know, we don't have like a legitimate starting lineup that we could look at with a straight face and be like, this starting lineup is going to be competitive. We don't have that because we don't have any starting caliber players. And if you have an opportunity to turn a guy who is so clearly a net negative in so like pretty much every basketball category. He is a net negative for your team and you can turn him into two legitimate NBA starter players. Like the amount of depth boosts, depth boosts that you get from that, I feel like is so underrated. And the fact that people are looking at, I, at that point, I mean, the Randall thing is just such a, like, I'm no. trying to be a contrarian. <laughs> and like, you know, this, this Miles Turner and Buddy thing is like the first you know, proposal I've seen written down. So I'm going to reject that and just say that anything else is better. The Randall thing is like completely open.
1: It's open sabotage.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, this last point I'll make is the contracts still give you long-term flexibility, you know, once you're done, once you're through with these guys. So I don't know. It's like such a low risk for us.
1: Well, also, do you remember when like mid season last year, we were all ready to trade THT Nunn in a 2027 first for Jeremy Grant. In yes. this situation, THT and Nunn are potentially not even involved in the deal. Yes. And you can get Miles Turner.
0: Yeah. And, and like people are sleeping on none, right? Like that guy is not, should not be just a throw into a trade, in my opinion. When we yeah. got, I know he missed all last year. But when we got him for the mini MLE last year, people were like, wow, that's actually kind of a steal. And we kind of got lucky because he was waived. I feel like, I don't remember the timing exactly, so don't quote me. But it was relatively late, and we were able to jump in because of the clutch connection. So. That's, you know, that's a starter, certainly top six, seven man rotation type of guy you have in none. THT is on the rise, you know, he's been developing. I've been saying he's on the rise for three years, but I'm excited (laughs) to see what's going to happen with Ham. You keep those two guys, you dump Russ and you get two other starter type players. I'm looking at this team a lot differently after that type of trade than I am right now. Well, and outside of
1: the fact that
0: I, I don't even understand why these debates exist when
1: you just add in the LeBron James, Anthony Davis factor, like you have to give those two a shot to contend. I don't know if this yeah. vaults us completely into top four level, but it takes us out of the playing level for sure if everybody's healthy. And then from there, you work things out along the way. And the biggest thing outside of like Anthony Davis and LeBron James is what it does for you organizationally as an institution because now you at least have a solid foundation from which to work off of and evaluate things properly so that you can make future incremental moves throughout the season because you know, okay, here's an actual roster that seems like it makes sense. What what little tinkers do we need to make to improve it even better? Versus here's Russell Westbrook and or Julius Randle, a team that doesn't make sense from the get-go. You're starting off from like six feet below the ground in in that respect, you know? Whereas this, you, you have leveled the playing field, you know you're at the very least a playoff team, and if you get you know, spikes from multiple players, including the random free agent guys you signed who are on contract years, and things shake out the way that they did in 2019-20. Obviously, you don't want to be relying on everything firing on all cylinders, but you even just get half of these guys to fire on their cylinders, and LeBron James and Anthony Davis take you the rest of the way, and as an organization, you're not... In scramble mode, trying to flip the entire roster again to try and give LeBron James a competitive team because you now have like these center tent poles of a roster that makes sense and you probably only need to make marginal moves at the trade deadline, you know? Versus, all right, we got to flip this, half of this roster again. Maybe at the trade deadline, it's just THT or none. What do we do with them? Okay, we flip them for a uh, a
0: player that we need more or Buddy Heald needs to go. Let's get Harrison Barnes. (laughs) Exactly, and by the way, if the Miles Turner thing doesn't work out, that's now a nineteen million dollar, very reasonable, movable, expiring contract at the deadline. If the Buddy Heald thing doesn't work out after the season, that is now become an expiring mm. contract for you to use. That's not just like six million dollars that nowadays, within the, the inflation and the NBA, like you can't get anything for that. So it just i don't know it it seems to make sense to me on so many levels it's like are you asking me what i trade to first for these this package today probably not because i'm waiting to see what happens with the kyrie thing but like to say that you would never do it gun to your head like with the you know camp starting tomorrow and it's the unofficial summer trade deadline that to me is crazy because then you've just signed yourself up to saying like lebron and ad we're happy to run you guys into the ground again because to even be competitive for a play-in spot, that roster with just you and LeBron and AD is going to require each of you to play 38 minutes a game for us to even try to like make the make the playoffs this year.
1: But you're forgetting that's tough Dennis Schroeder could be part of the equation to patch. Yeah, things that's up. right. That's right. So I'm just leaving that out there. All right, Tommy, last question to close this episode. I think you've already answered it, but let's just make it more definitive. Between this package, the Miles Turner and Buddy Heal package, or the Kyrie Irving package, which would also probably include some depth, whether that's Joe Harris or Seth Curry, the deals will probably end up looking the same. Um, Where do you have this ranked versus the Kyrie package and why? So
0: so I have, and we've talked about this too, but I have the Kyrie ahead. but it's slightly, and I actually view these as very comparable packages. With Kyrie, you have more playoff upside. But with the Miles Turner, Buddy Healed, I think like again, people are sleeping on the depth that this that this brings us. And you don't necessarily, when you play a three headed monster like Big Three, we've seen it at every every Big Three that's ever formed. One guy has to take a backseat. And when you have LeBron and AD and Kyrie, which of those three is going to take a backseat? So that's a re- inherent risk of going that route. So I I am a fan of either happening. I'd be very pleased with both. and it for me, it's not like one is clearly the front runner, but I give a slight preference to Kyrie just because Kyrie is a like one of the best players in the NBA when his head is right. Um, and then I and then I move on from there. And I actually think an interesting thing is like if we do end up in a situation where Indiana's willing to do the trade, for just one first and two seconds, like that even gives us some leverage with Kyrie, you know, after that, like we can go to the nets and say like, we have this other offer on the table too. But anyway, I, in the vacuum, I give the slight edge to Kyrie.
1: Yeah, I agree with you because of everything you said and the trust and familiarity with LeBron James, he's been to the top before, literally to the top of the top. He has that experience. We've seen him do it. There are definite risks with the, his uh, bipolar mental state, but I think I actually think the Lakers allure and the Kobe connection and wanting to do right by those legacies should keep him on track. And maybe that's still too idealistic when it comes to Kyrie Irving, but that's something I'm kind of holding on to. And he Kyrie Irving is just one of the most lethal and poetically fluid offensive players the game has ever seen and to see him yeah. do that dance with LeBron James and Anthony Davis would be yeah, that's the stuff of Showtime. But the most important thing Tommy of why I prefer Kyrie slightly over Miles Turner and Buddy Heald is the fact that Kyrie Irving can actually carry a Lakers team without LeBron James, or maybe even Anthony Davis as well, more so than a Buddy Heald and a Miles Turner can. Because in the worst case scenario, let's say LeBron James and Anthony Davis have to miss time. <laughs> the Buddy Heald-Miles Turner combo, it's going to be better than last year, but not that much better. You know, I I, I right. can see us being like a 500 team or slightly below 500 team whereas with Kyrie we've seen him carry teams all all on his own before you know with middling role players and he could definitely keep us afloat even in the event where LeBron James or Anthony Davis or both have to miss time so that's kind of why I put the premium on Kyrie Irving but again all this stuff will have to wait because the Brooklyn Nets are waiting to see if uh They can pull off a Kevin Durant trade, and in my opinion, they should just go with Jalen Brown because that's the best-looking prospect that I think they can get. But obviously, it's their right to try and haggle for more. It unfortunately affects us because we're still going to have to wait till probably uh, late August. Uh, But with that said, thank you guys for listening. Tommy, I will see you in late August, I guess, when (laughs) one one, one of these deals hopefully happens. So I'll catch you later. Peace. Laters!